0: Gentlemen, welcome back to another heart-pumping episode of '80s Wrestling: The Podcast. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and as always, I'm joined by Tommy Figure Four Fierro. Tommy, welcome back, my man.
1: You should have said heart punch instead, because the uh, OX Baker had the dreaded heart punch back in the
0: day. You're absolutely right. We can maybe we'll dub that in uh, post-episode, but you're right. Uh, We're, of course, talking about famous finishers today, which is why you mentioned the heart punch and is why I named you Figure Four Fierro. So that's the hot topic of the day. But as always, before we get to that business, we got some other things to catch up on, Tommy. You're coming off of one of the busiest Monday night virtual sightings in recent history. You had a big one just a few days ago with none other than legend hall of famer, the Godfather. Tell us Tommy behind the scenes, how did this one go for you? It was crazy busy. Oh man. It it was, I'll be honest with you, Jay. It was a
1: lot busier than I thought it was going to be. We had, we had a really good advance uh, for, for the Godfather. You know, when, 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 when the cameras go live, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes, you know, fans order sporadically throughout the night. And in other times, like this past Monday, they were ordering at a rapid pace as we went live. So it, it, was, it was definitely, you know what it was two J It was, you had a, char- a wrestler that played two characters that were both super popular in different eras. You know, the Papa Shango character was from the early 90s. And then you had the Godfather during that attitude era. And also he, in the middle of that, you know, he, he was comma and a lot of people were ordering the comma pictures as well. So it it was a very, 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 uh, busy signing. Tons of orders came in throughout the night. He was super cool about it. He engaged with everyone. He was at the store as well, the wrestling collector the day before our store here in Stockholm, New Jersey. And man, I was surprised by the turnout there as well. Uh, we had a nonstop line going, Jay, for about two and a half hours to meet the Godfather. So uh, a, a big, big uh, Sunday-Monday for us here in New Jersey with the Godfather doing a virtual signing on Monday and a in-store signing on uh, Sunday. And we uh, were off this Monday, but we'll be returning the following Monday with wild man Mark Merrow on Monday, August the 16th. So if you haven't taken part in any of our virtual signings yet, uh, all you have to do is head over to our website, 80swrestlingcon.com. You'll select which photo you like of Mark Murrow. We have some Johnny B. Badds up there. We have him as Wildman Mark Murrow with Sable. And uh, you choose which photo you want, and then you tune in live on our Facebook page, the night of the signing. It's uh, facebook.com backslash 80 picks, But we also have that link right on the the main page of the website as well. And then you just watch the show, and you'll, you'll get the chance to see him sign your autograph, picture, hold it up, give you a shout-out, and then we ship it out to you afterwards. So uh, we have a ton of signings coming up, so check them out at 80swrestlingcon.com. But enough about that, man. Let's talk about the main event today on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. But before we do that, Jay, I had a quick question for you. Quick question. So I was driving up to the store this morning. And I was thinking about last week's episode and how funny it was and how much I enjoyed it, especially your story about waiting in line at Arby's where the Brooklyn Brawler's in front of you, but you decided to stay online to get your roast beef sandwich instead of getting a autograph or photo opportunity. My question to you is, Jay, because I was thinking about this on the way up. So this was in the early 90s that you were, uh, or late 80s, early 90s that you saw a Brawler, right? Or was it later? uh when he was an agent
0: it was it was later it was he was an okay. agent um and so it was later he was no longer an active wrestler okay
1: uh, and it was, I was right good...
0: after his show so my guess is he ran to get food for some of the boys in the locker room while they were showering up and getting ready to head out
1: okay because i was i was thinking to myself like I, I thought about it this morning and it was like during the 80s early 90s like how old are you waiting on this line with your what, your your money to get your sandwich? So I'm happy that it was in the later years, the 90s, not the early 90s. I was wondering, like, well, where's his mama and where to get the money from this wait online for
0: a roast beef sandwich when he's 10 years old? I was living on the streets, 10 years old, bumming <laughs> Argy's off of the brawler. No, it was Much later in life. He was, a, he was an agent. Um, and so yeah, I don't know how I would have reacted. If I was ten years old, I probably would have been scared of him, and I probably wouldn't have approached him for that reason. And then when I was a, a grown man, I just I guess hunger took over. Um, I but, but I got coming few, up. I got a on a signing a man. Few,
1: I got a few emails, Jay, saying that they our last week's episode reminded them of like their their morning commute to work because a lot of a lot of people listen to morning you know uh, radio talk shows you know, uh, on the way, on the way into work. So I, I think that we had, we had given them that feel last week where they thought they were listening to a their morning radio show with, with two, uh, two commentators going back and forth and, and just having fun. So I think they enjoyed it last week,
0: man. It was a, it was a fun episode to do. And if we would have snuck in, maybe like the top 10 current uh, songs of the day, we could have had a little radio station going, but no, it was an awesome conversation. Uh, The topic was refs. I think we covered refs for a whole, you know, 30 seconds, Um, but it was definitely a fun (laughs) conversation. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and give it a listen. You're going to hear about awesome roast beef sandwiches with cheddar. So good. Let's jump into the hot topic of the day. You put me on the spot last episode. You said, what do you want to talk about? First thing that popped into mind was finishing moves. Because, man, back in the 80s, the finishing move meant something. Wrestlers would spend all match building to this one move. And once executed, very, very rare was it that somebody kicked out after a finishing move that was normally reserved for one guy in the main event spot. But all other matches, that finishing move, man, it was treated as special. And in the 80s, man, we had some good ones. We had some of the best submissions, some mind-blowing power moves. We had high-flying finishers. And today, Tommy and I are going to cover them all, or at least the ones we can remember. And so, Tommy, just to start the show, this is is an unfair question because it's like, I don't know. It's like pick, pick, picking uh, salty treats versus uh sweet and sour treats. Like sometimes you're in the mood for one and other times you're craving the other, but just as a blanket question, if you had to choose, are you more of a power move guy, a uh, uh, submission hold guy, or a high flying finisher? What is your favorite type of finisher from this era?
1: I tell you what, that's, that's a tough question because there's different finishers that I, I loved as a kid that, that are, are, are absolutely different styles than the ones you just, you just said. You High-flying, absolutely. Macho Man Randy Savage coming off the top rope with that elbow. Power, if you're looking at a power move, how about Hulk Hogan dropping that big leg on his opponent? So, I mean, there's different categories, definitely, or, or, or just a devastating move. Personally, maybe my favorite move as, as a kid the DDT by Jake, the snake Roberts. So there's definitely, definitely, definitely different categories for some of these finishes, but I I think we should definitely talk about all
0: the big ones for sure today. Since you brought up my all time favorite wrestlers, finishing move, everybody knows it's no secret. Jumpin' J is a Hulkamaniac. I, I bleed the red and the yellow, but I will say, even as a kid, I thought the leg drop is a finishing move was a little suspect. Because, yes, it was the atomic one. Yes, he's Hulk Hogan. Yes, that leg weighs a ton, and he goes, he jumps high. He's at top rope level every time he jumps to drop that. But I would see as a kid, I would see other wrestlers on the card do a regular leg drop, and it was just a throwaway move. But Hogan's was something special back then. Is that a little suspect to you, Tommy, or did you buy into it the whole time you were a kid?
1: I wanted to hook, line, and sinker, man. That's the hawkster right there, brother. What's wrong with you? Have a little respect.
0: Did you buy into it because of the setup with the big boot to the atomic leg drop? Because it was always the combination, man. Three punches into the rope, big boot, atomic leg drop. Is that what made that finisher special, the setup?
1: I I think so. Because I think back then in, in the 80s, definitely, you know, the fans were so much more easily programmed uh, back then, than they than they are today for a ton of different reasons. But back then, it was pretty easy to I don't want to say the word brainwash. It's definitely not brainwash, but it, it, to to have the fans react the way you want them to react, and you know, seeing the same setup every every time there was a Hogan match, you know, one two kick out, hawk up, boom boom boom, big big uh, boot to the face, leg drop. I mean, that's how you know. Every Hulk Hogan match, and and we loved it, and we loved it as kids. Uh, you couldn't wait. At least I couldn't wait till one two kicks out, and he starts hawking up. You knew shit was about to hit the fan when Hulk Hogan started hawking up. They hit him. They hit him. No, it puts the finger in the face. Boom, boom, boom. Shoots him up to the ropes. Big boot to the face. Fall. Leg drop. One, two, three. That's it. That's that's what we were accustomed to as kids, and. It obviously worked today because it's 40 years later, and we're still talking about that sequence that finished off his opponents.
0: You're absolutely right. It worked because of that exact reason. And as you're describing this, I'm smiling ear to ear because I can picture it each and every time. And I would challenge any young man that's a Hulkamaniac growing up to keep your butt on the couch when you see Hogan start hulking up. Because like you said, you knew what was going down after that. So you're off the couch, you're cheering, you're going crazy, and then you see it thrown to the ropes, that big boot and that heavy leg coming down on the throat of his opponent. And you knew no one, well, almost no one is going to kick out of the leg drop of the Hulkster. That's a great one to talk about first, man. Thank you for bringing that up at the top of the show, because when you talk golden arrow and you talk 80s wrestling, it doesn't get any bigger than Hulk Hogan. And that atomic leg drop is one of the most iconic finishers in the history of professional wrestling.
1: Absolutely, man. Let's talk, well, while we're talking about that, we might as well talk about the other two that I brought up at the top of the show was the Macho Man's flying elbow up the top rope and Jake Roberts' DDT.
0: Listen, man, in the 80s, high flying was not what it is today. Not everybody went to the top rope. Not everybody was doing flips or dives or jumping to the outside from the top rope, Randy Savage was a rare breed, man, because he would do a double axe handle from the top rope to the outside, which was insane back then. And then that finisher, when he climbed to the top and he put his fingers over his head and pointed to the heavens, and then he dropped that elbow, that might be the prettiest elbow in the history of wrestling, Tommy.
1: Absolutely, man, and and he he got he was like Air Jordan in the air, man. Like he's like it was like a bird flying in the sky, when the Macho Man would jump off that top rope, and 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 again, you know, you you if you were for some, and I hate to I always hate to do this. I hate to like compare it to today's wrestling, because it just it's a totally different animal for countless amount of reasons. But I don't think 20 years from now, or 30 or 40 years from now, like we're doing right now, that you're going to have two guys on the podcast talking about the greatest finishing maneuver or maneuvers of the year, 2020s. I just, I just, I just don't think it'll ever happen. Like, I don't think we'll remember uh, 20 years from now, what Daniel Bryan's finishing move was or what this guy's finishing move was. I, I think that it's just so iconic back then. Like with the, I like, I like the, the last several weeks we've been covering different aspects of 80s wrestling from the steel cage matches, uh, to, you know, all these different things that we're doing. Now we're on to, you know, uh, we did battle Royals. Now we're on to, you know, the finishing moves, like all that stuff, but always such a huge part of our childhood, the, the songs, the theme songs that came out to so the moves that they did. It was just so, so different then. And, and it, it everything was special back then. Maybe that's a, a good way to sum it up, like, today moves are moves, like whatever. But back then, when Jake Roberts hit that DDT, man, it was special. When Hulk Hogan dropped that leg drop, it was special. When Man dived up that top rope and dropped the elbow on his opponent, it's special. We remember it 40 years later. I don't just don't think that's going to happen
0: to today's generations of fans 40 years from now. No, I think you're right. And I think I would argue that 40 years from now, there's still going to be guys who are talking about 80s wrestling who... Either our, it's going to be you and me in our 80s talking about it, or it's going to be younger guys that discovered the product uh, and are looking back at it. Because like you said, it was special back then. The, the, the finishing moves fit the characters, and the moves were treated as special, man. And maybe it's because I know you're a huge fan of the squash match that they used to have in the World Wrestling Federation, which was designed to showcase your main event stars. And so on a Saturday morning program, you're seeing a big-name Macho Man against a local enhancement talent, a jobber. And so you're going to see Macho Man's moveset, and it's going to be capped off with him floating through the air and delivering that bionic elbow across the throat of that enhancement talent. And so, like you said, it was special, they treated it special, and they showcased it in a special way. That way, when you got to a pay-per-view and you saw two main event superstars going against each other, you were excited. You anticipated how they were going to approach each other. Which move were you going to see? Who was going to get to their finishing move first? Because at the end of the day, that finishing move was treated as the end of the match. And so when you knew it was getting set up, you felt the anticipation, you were excited. And then when it happened, chances are, that match was over. So I think just the whole presentation that we talk about every week is what made this era so special. We all miss it. We all wish it would come back.
1: Absolutely, man. And, and, and not just, you know, singles finishers moves, tag team finishing moves as well. Like one of my favorite finishing moves ever is Demolitions Finisher, man. That was something really cool. And same thing with the Heart Foundation. Their their finishing move was awesome as well. So uh, it, it wasn't just the uh, the singles guys that had these finishers. It was the teams as well. And there was just as as, as grab out uh, the road warriors and NWA up on the shoulders and close line off the top. I mean, stuff like that, man. Like the teams, their finishes were
0: just as awesome as the singles guys. Listen, we did an episode on tag team Wrestling, and you're getting me fired up because that's what's missing in the world of wrestling is you need to have teams that look alike, come out together and have an awesome finishing move. Like that's the package for a tag team. It needs to be cohesive. And in the eighties it was. And so I think we need to talk about tag team finishers in just a, in just a moment. I got to go back to the DDT. You brought it up. We didn't give it any attention. We need to Tommy talk to me about Jake, the snake Robert and that devastating finisher, the DDT.
1: Uh, Sure. Jay real quickly though, you just brought up tag teams. I want to make mention that, Uh, news just broke last night late last night Uh, legendary wrestling tag team wrestler one of the best ever lace up a pair of boots beautiful Bobby Eaton uh, passed away at age 62 so I just wanted to make mention of that and send all our thoughts prayers and condolences to all his friends and family Uh, and also uh, um, Jody Hamilton passed away a few days as well so our uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family as well. And I just wanted to make mention of that.
0: No, thank you, Tommy. It's, it you think as wrestling fans we'd get used to it, but uh, every time you hear of somebody that we watched growing up and that made an impact in the world of wrestling passes away, uh, it deserves to be mentioned and honored. So thank you for bringing that up.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about Jake the Snake Roberts' DDT, man. That was probably one of the my favorites personal favorite finishers ever in in wrestling, and not just a DDT from anyone, a, a DDT from him. Uh, no one, no one, no one, no one uh, did a DDT like Jake the Snake Roberts, and just his setup for it, and just his his body movements and actions, how he acted the second before he hooked it in, and the second after he dropped it. I mean, just his his timing, his facials. His body movements, everything made that move mean that much more, in my opinion.
0: Let's talk about the setup. I would bet any amount of money that you remember the move that he uses the setup to the DDP. Oh yeah, short arm clothesline. Short arm clothesline. This we're seeing a pattern. Hogan had a setup. Jake the Snake has a setup. It's these little things that wrestlers would do to bring the audience in, to clue them in that you're about to see something special. And what I love about the setup, especially with Jake the snake is every once in a while in a big time matchup, he would go for that short arm clothesline and the wrestler would slip away, get out. That took nothing away from the DDT because they didn't get out of the DDT. You don't get out of the DDT, but if they would, slither their way out, no pun intended, of Jake the Snake's short-arm clothesline, it just made the match so much more engaging. You knew that when he hit that, you knew what was coming next. And the DDT might be one of the most devastating finishers of all time. And it's simple, man. That's a move you could hit on any wrestler, no matter their size, no matter their weight. You're not lifting them up over your head. It's a move that could be used to beat anyone, and that's why it was such an effective finishing move.
1: Absolutely. And I also want to make mention, too, and I think we might have mentioned this on the Saturday Night's Main Event episode we we covered, when Jake Roberts dropped that DDT on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat on the concrete floor, and the way Ricky Steamboat sold, like he was absolutely dead. Uh, man, that, that right there cemented that move as being extremely dangerous. And uh, the cool thing is you can hit it at, an, at anywhere, like a like an RKO at Randy Orton's um, but, um, or a Diamond Cutter like DDP. But uh, in my opinion, I think that was probably my favorite finishing move. I know when I used to play the video games, I used to love being Jake Roberts. So I could do the DDT.
0: I think you're right. I think the Diamond Cutter and the RKO are both offsprings. Of the DDT, I think it's it's very similar. You can hit it out of anywhere, uh and it's just devastating. And I don't know if Ricky the Dragon Steamboat had to sell that all too much. I think he legitimately got got his clock cleaned on that one because it was yeah, a, a legitimate that. move. That's a move that you couldn't do to your brother in the basement because it, it was a legitimate move. If you did it, don't make me do it to hurt you, hurting, brother. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You get me fired up sometimes. Listen, if you're going to get fired up, it's in a conversation about finishing moves because they were designed to finish you and and, and to fire you up. Um, I'll talk about one of my favorites from the 80s. Now, this was a heel guy who at the time I wasn't a big fan of because I was following WWE programming and I was cheering for the faces and booing the heels. But as you get up into an adulthood and you look back and you realize just how amazing this guy was as a performer and how cool he was in his finishing move, Ravishing Rick Rude has to be in the conversation for being one of the greatest heels of this time period. And he had the move, the Rude Awakening, which, man, the move itself is devastating, but the way he performed it was just meant to get heat and it worked. I love the rude awakening.
1: Oh yeah, man, that's one of the best ever, man. He was one of the best ever. Um, yeah, it, it was it was cool back then too because you know the hills did some really awesome moves as well. You know, I mean, if, if you went down if you went down the whole roster of the WWF right now, w, I'm sorry, WWE right now in 2021 and said what are their finishers? Me, you ask me, I would not. Outside of Randy Orton's RKO or Roman Reigns, the Superman punch, or maybe one or two others. I would have no eye, and it's, it's and partly because I don't watch it uh, anymore. But, you know, if you were to ask me what, you know, Honky Tonk Man's finisher was or, or pretty much anyone on the roster in the 1980s, we would be able to tell you their finishing movement in the split of a, not, not just that, but hometowns and weights too. 302 pounds from Menace Beach, California. Who's that? From Stone Mountain, Georgia. From Glens Falls, New York. So we, we knew not only their finishers. We didn't know their – not only knew their music. We knew what hometown they were. We knew how much they weighed. It was just so different back then. I know that's a little off topic, but hopefully it turns around and makes sense what, what we're talking about.
0: Absolutely it does. Here's something I want to do, Tommy. We mentioned four – solid finishing moves from the 80s. We had Hogan Savage, Jake the Snake, and Rick Rude. Real quick, I just want to get your opinion on each one. Do you think that finishing move would work in today's wrestling or would not work in the landscape of today's finisher? Let's go from the top. Hogan's atomic leg drop. Do you think a leg drop could work as a finishing move today, yes or no? Never. Never. How about an elbow drop from the top rope? I would like it to. All right, fair enough. How about a DDT?
1: Absolutely.
0: I think it's so as well. And then what about the neck breaker, the root awakening? Absolutely, I think someone should steal it and bring it back this Monday night. There you go. I agree with you. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, I brought up the root awakening, so it, it is your turn if you have one in mind. Otherwise, I'll go again.
1: Oh, dude, I have tons of them. We could talk all day about it, but I guess the next one I'll bring up is Mr. Perfect's Perfect
0: Plex. I love Mr. Perfect, dude, and I love the Perfect Plex. Oh, yeah, uh, why don't you break it down for us, though? Describe to us the Perfect Plex.
1: The Perfect Plex would be he's hooking him for a suplex. He picks him up, but his other arm is locking his the opponent's leg, and he flips back Holding him instead of suplexing him, doesn't let go of him and pins him that way with the wrestlers' uh, arms uh, and and shoulders on the mat. Is that a pretty fair assumption for someone that maybe never saw it before?
0: Listen, described beautifully, man. And the why why it was effective is you can't kick out if your legs are not free to move about. He would hook your legs, clasp his fingers together. And it's basically like a small package, but he suplexed you, and he's arching his back to get his shoulder blades off the mat, and he's holding you down there. It's a beautiful move, and it fit that character, man, because it was essentially a perfect suplex. You you executed a suplex, but you turned it into a pin. The guy can't kick out because you have his leg hooked in such a way. The only downfall is you couldn't get a big guy into the perfect plaques. It would be very hard to suplex, on, or to perfect plex Andre the Giant, Big John Stud, King Kong Bundy, things of like that. But he was a heel, so he wasn't facing those guys anyway. But the perfect plex is a beautiful, beautiful finishing move.
1: Also, talking about finishing moves for heels, how about the million-dollar dream?
0: I love that the moves were named – to go along with the wrestler's gimmick, the million dollar dream. And he's putting you to sleep with it. I love it. It was so good that Stone Cold stole it. when I mean, he entered the world wrestling Federation and used it as well. I love the finishing move. Sleepers are great finishing moves. And the million dollar dream was different than the other versions of a sleeper hold that we saw from other wrestlers. And so it was a variant on a sleeper hold but it fit that character. I love the name. Beautiful.
1: Absolutely. Talk about uh, another heel. He was a babyface to Paul Orndorf, his
0: pile driver, man. Pile drivers are, are scary moves. They're amazing finishers. He started it. Uh, In the World Wrestling Federation, that pile driver devastating wrestlers would sell it because it was a legit like you're dropping somebody you're, you're spiking somebody's head into the mat or onto the concrete if the situation called for it. And I know you love Orndorff. I'm a huge, wonderful guy. His physique, like the picture of this powerful jacked, muscular guy doing a pile driver to somebody. It just, it worked. It was a very effective.
1: Absolutely, man. And, and let's talk about, you know, let's talk about some of the other finishers out there as well. We're talking about a string of heels. Maybe he was bringing a couple of baby faces. Now uh, one of the, one of the top ones at that time, the ultimate warrior.
0: What I love about the warriors gorilla press into the, into the splash is he was a power guy. His build was all about his physique. That's what got him his push, his energy, his physique. And so when you have a move that showcases the power of the individual, like it highlights their asset. And that's what, that's what this era of wrestling was all about. You have a guy that looks like he could lift a thousand pounds over his head. Let's have him gorilla press Hogan in the main event of WrestleMania. Like, that fit him perfectly, man.
1: Perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. And everything about him did—from his music to what he was wearing to the makeup. To I mean, it, it did fit him perfect. And I know you hear a thousand people say, you know, but he couldn't wrestle, blah blah blah. But he captured uh, the imaginations at that time of millions of fans, and that that definitely can't be denied, you know. And
0: we don't we don't need everyone to be a mat technician at that time. This time in wrestling, in the golden era, man, you had power guys, you had technical wrestlers, you had guys who really just worked their gimmick to the T, and that was their bread and butter. Like, we had variety. We didn't need Ultimate Warrior to be chain wrestling and to be putting people in small packages and drop toe holds. Like, we needed Warrior to be Warrior. He was perfect for that time period would he get over in today's wrestling scene? Probably not. He doesn't need to. He was around right time, right place, right guy for that.
1: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's talk about, you know, we talked about tag teams. we talked about demolition. We mentioned the heart foundation. We, we mentioned um, the road warriors. What, what are some of the other tag team finishers out there, Jay, that you remember
0: uh, enjoying as a fan growing up? The ones you said are definitely the iconic ones, the ones that when you picture 80s tag team wrestling in the World Wrestling Federation, those are the ones you think about. I was a fan of the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. And a lot of their finishing to their matches had to do with top rope timing. Like they would do a double missile drop kick from the top rope. um, And that's, that's a tough thing to time. Or they would do... Uh, tandem flying headbutts from opposite corner posts, which is another tough thing to time. And so anytime you have a tag team working together to do a move together, it just came across as more devastating, man. It just worked. All time favorite WWF tag team, you know, is demolition for me. And that combination of like backbreaker, elbow drop, it was just cool. And then of course, The Doomsday Device with the Road Warriors, maybe the most iconic uh, tag team finisher of all time. Maybe most of the legit, like scary one to have to take if you're their opponent. I don't think I'd want to take it, Um, but definitely. I would love. I would love to see you take that. Listen, man, when I come out to New Jersey for the next Wrestle Eighties Wrestling Con, you put me on your shoulders, and we'll have uh, Ryan (laughs) Moore take my head off from the top rope. I would. I would
1: love that. I would definitely book that, man. I think that's a wonderful idea.
0: There you go. You have to charge extra for people to see that. And it's only happening once.
1: Nice. So what else is going on? Talk to me, brother. What, 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 what well, else you got on, on, on your uh, radar there?
0: We just named a whole bunch. I kind of lost track of them, but I wanted to get your impression on, on the few that I can remember. The Perfect Plex. is that? Would that work in today's wrestling? Oh, hell yeah, man. You kidding me? I listen, I agree that's that's a move that probably hasn't been performed since Mr. Perfect last performed it. And so that is one that definitely uh could come back. How about the million dollar dream? That version of the sleeper hold. Do you think that would fly in today's wrestling scene?
1: Yeah, man. Listen, I I think I think anything can work in today's wrestling if and it's a big if they program that to work with today's wrestling fans you just it's they have the marketing machine behind them they have the tv show they have the social media that has millions and millions and millions of followers they have the the network they have all these different devices and avenues of how to uh make and and not really make because you can't do that in this generation but uh try and you know persuade them in that direction by whatever you know it's marketing one on one by whatever message you're you're trying to convey to that audience through be social media their tv shows their their network whatever so i mean anything i think anything can can work in today's wrestling it's just a matter of making the fans or the viewers at home believe that it can work you know
0: and it's and you just got to be really Um, intentional about it. You got to take a step back. And I know in the world of social media, it feels like the world's going a thousand miles per hour. And so you don't necessarily feel like you can slow things down to tell proper stories, but that's what true wrestling fans want. You're right, Tom. They want that storytelling. They want things to mean something. Speaking of things that mean something, maybe one of the most iconic finishers of all time, 80s wrestling and beyond, like even non-wrestling fans, I think, would recognize the silhouette of this finisher. I'm talking about Snooka's Superfly Splash. How iconic of a finisher is that, Tommy? This is a guy who would hang out at Tommy Fierro's house watching WrestleMania. Did you ever, were you ever <laughs> on the receiving end of a Superfly Splash off the couch if you were late coming back with the snacks?
1: No, but I will tell a story. When, when I was a kid... I was playing. I was wrestling my pillow. My mom was watching as the audience, and I climbed the top of my dresser to do the superfly splash onto the bed, and I missed the bed and fell on the floor and broke my ribs. Are you serious? I'm, I'm dead serious, yeah.
0: Broke your ribs doing the superfly splash from the top yep. of the dresser. <laughs> True story. What were, you were trying to land on the bed? Was it a pillow? Was it a wrestling bed? Yeah, what were you aiming for?
1: I body, well, I body slammed the pillow
0: yep. and I went, to
1: the, I went to the top of the dresser and put my, my I love you fingers up in the air yep. and I did the splash and I just didn't make the, uh, I didn't make the, <laughs>
0: I didn't make the bed. Didn't cover the distance.
1: No, I didn't.
0: So I, now I just have to know, did you finish the match or did mom take you to the emergency room? What happened?
1: I'm pretty sure mom took me to the emergency room.
0: So you're, you're, you're here. 40-some years old, and the, the record between you and the pillow, is pillow one, Tommy zero?
1: No, I would always, my pillow would always do the job for me, man. I used to do all okay. the, I used, to do all, I used to hit all the finishers on the pillow, the DDT, the leg drop. Yeah, man, just that, that one time, I missed, I missed the bed. But other than that, man, I was always victorious over my pillow. All right.
0: I was going to say, man, if, if you didn't get that win back over the pillow on your next ISPW show, you have to book Tommy Fierro versus The Pillow in the that's Ultimate the Grudge Match. Nice. I love it. The feathers will fly, and so will Tommy. <laughs> the feathers will fly, brother. That's right. So we got the Super Superfly. That's a great story, man. Who, who didn't wrestle their pillows? Which is why the Wrestling Buddy was such a stroke of genius to come oh, up with. That. A yeah, that's a beautiful product. That, that's Yeah. And you have a couple... I follow you on social media. You posted a picture of a few of them at the and Collector Superstore. Are they still there, or did they, did they fly out the door already?
1: Uh, a couple of them are gone already, but there's just – I think there's still one or two out there. But like I said, I, I get new stuff in at the store all the time. So uh, people just come in all the time and sell me their collections, really. Uh, or they, they'll they send us a message on social media. A lot of these people, a lot of the stuff is sitting in their basement and their storage unit collecting dust. So for them – You know, getting a little bit for something that they really don't care about is good, whereas me, it's finding a hidden treasure like the WWE's new uh, TV show. But, yeah, so there's always new stuff coming into the the store because I'm I'm buying a collection at least a week, sometimes two. So you never know what you're going to see when you you walk in there, which is the fun part about it.
0: Now, uh, I'm on the Google right now. I'm trying to find it because I'm just curious. Do you remember what the original retail price of a wrestling buddy was when you could buy it new in the store? Maybe 20 bucks? Maybe 20 bucks. Give me an idea. I've been on eBay. I've looked. What does a wrestling buddy go for nowadays? It's, it's It's a lot more than 20 bucks, I'll tell you that. Now,
1: is it, is it new? Are you talking about new in the box or just out of, out of just played with used condition? Because that's a big well, difference.
0: It is a big difference. And let's not go crazy because my assumption is the average collector is not going to be dropping the money it takes for a new inbox. So if, if a guy just wanted to buy a slightly used wrestling buddy, what do you think it would go for?
1: It would depend on who it was. If it was Hulk Hogan, maybe 100, 125. Uh, Jake would be a little bit more. He's a little more rarer to get, as is Warrior and Macho King. There's DiBiase. There's Bossman. There's the Legion mm-hmm. of Doom. They go, they go for about, I'd say, can range anywhere from 200 to 300 each out Man. of the box. In the box, you're talking some serious... Serious money for these if they're still new in the box.
0: Listen, this, we we say we say this often, man. If we could just go back and buy one to play with and one to keep is new in the box. But here's, I'll be honest with you. Even if I did that, if I kept one new in the box as a kid, I don't know if I could sell it today. I just think that I I would love it so much that I'd have a hard time parting with it. Which is why I'm amazed at your at your store because I've said it before. I would want to keep every single item that walks through there. And I know you're the same way, but you're a businessman. You understand it. you got to sell stuff to, to keep the doors open. And the nice thing is a store like yours, you're selling it to people who are going to appreciate it as much as you do. So, you know, things are going to good homes, but man, I'd love to have them all someday.
1: Me too, man. Honestly, a lot of times it's, it's hard when, um people come in and some of their stuff because this is stuff that like i want to keep for myself like <laughs> a lot of yeah. stuff and a lot of this stuff in this store like i wish it was mine and, and, and i look at this one well it is mine until i sell it so i can that's enjoy right. it while it's still here at least you
0: know that's right you can hit some uh Superfly splashes from the counter of the wrestling collector onto like, those wrestling buddies before you you send them out the door let's keep like the conversation it. moving tommy let's go to the next finishing move this is a heel wrestler. And this, I don't know if this will surprise you that I'm bringing it up or not, uh, given my relationship uh, with some of his relatives. But I'm talking about the Iron Sheet and the Camel Clutch. What a great heel finishing move, later used by the heel turn Sergeant Slaughter. But that move, legitimate move if you've ever been put into it. I'm guessing you have some point in your life had a friend or a family member put you in the Camel Clutch But that's another great finishing move from a heel wrestler in this time period.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And and uh, and 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 the same thing was, you know, can be said for a lot of these guys that that we haven't been brought up yet. Again, I think it all goes back to just how over they were as performers back then, and how over their 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 moves were because of because of how over they were as performers. I know that sounds. Does that make sense or not?
0: It does make sense. But again, that goes back to the recipe. You said last week they have the recipe. You have programming designed to showcase your superstars, which makes them mean something, which makes their moveset mean something. You treat their finisher as special. It means something. And so then when you get to a pay-per-view and you see them go head-to-head with another guy who means something – the whole match means something more. That's the yes. recipe, Tommy. I mean,
1: it's it's not a hard concept to follow. Like I, I was just about to say, like just say it was you know Sam Houston that was that was doing that that DDT. You think it would have got over as much as it did with, 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 as, as Jake did it, or say it was um, Barry Horowitz throwing up the big boot and dropping the leg. Like, I, I'm not trying to try to single these guys out, but I'm saying like it was the performers that, you know, enhance the moves and, 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 vice versa. So Jay, I want to say to you, like right now is like, I'm not putting you on the spot. Obviously didn't know I was for this if, and, and, and this has to be in no particular order. So take your time on it. What would be looking back on, at, at your childhood, not now as an adult, but when you were a kid, what were again, in no particular order, your top five finishing moves?
0: The thing about this question is, and I think it plays into what you're talking about, that the the wrestlers themselves meant more. The top five are probably going to be the top five guys that you love to watch. So in the World Wrestling Federation, it would have been Hogan. It would have been Warrior. It would have been Savage. It would have been Jake the Snake Roberts. And for me, I'd probably throw perfect in there in my top five because he was the first heel wrestler that I loved as a kid. And the first one that I kind of went away from WDF programming and saying, I'm supposed to boo this guy, but I love him so much. Um, man, I'd have a hard time leaving Bret Hart's sharpshooter out of that list because the sharpshooter is an incredible move, and I love that move. But those would probably be, round out my top six at the time. Tommy, how about you?
1: I, I, again, I'll probably have to go the way you're going. Uh, just, the, you know, the guys that I grew up as my favorites, Hogan, um, Savage, Jake Warrior. Uh Piper was probably my all time favorite, but he I mean what what he, his finishing hold was what? The sleeper?
0: Yeah, he would use the sleeper. Um he would use the sleeper hold. I don't know if he uses that all the time, but like that's his iconic against like Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's awesome photos of him with the sleeper. Um Yeah.
1: You know, Brutus Beefcake. You know, as a babyface, you you would love here's someone that that made that sleeper mean something because they the fans they became accustomed to knowing what was going to happen after that sleeper hold when Brutus Beefcake had it on the the the, the wrestler was sleeping, Brutus cuts their hair and then wakes them up and they realize they have a, you know a haircut. So like that's a perfect example of a character enhancing. Uh, a move and vice versa, the move enhancing the character.
0: You could not have picked a better finishing move for Brutus of RBP. And like you said, it's because what happened after the wrestler was put to sleep, the hair cutting. Like, you couldn't leg drop a guy and then cut his hair. Like It just wouldn't make sense. But to put him to sleep, cut his hair, and then wake him up and show him in a mirror what you did to him while he was sleeping, like, Man, that's that's just good stuff. That is just enjoyable from a fan's perspective. You just love that.
1: Or as Vince would say, that's good shit.
0: That is what Vince would say. Now, as a kid, what I always thought was amusing is, do you remember how they would wake a wrestler up a lot of times after the sleeper hold was performed?
1: Yeah, they'd slap him on the back of the
0: neck. Yeah, they would either slap him or kick him to the back of the head, which as a kid, you think that move put them to sleep. But as you look at it, like, that's a legit chokehold. Like, that guy's going to be passed out. And if someone passes out and you kick him or slap him in the back of the head, they're not necessarily waking up. You're just uh, you're just beating a guy while he's down. But I love, as a kid, it made sense. Oh, he went to sleep. We'll slap him. He'll wake up. That'd wake me up if I was sleeping. I <laughs> love the logic.
1: Absolutely. I, I thought, you know, that's what would have been cool, too, is, like, Obviously, they can't do it now, but if uh, back then, like, Beef, Beefcake had like a bottle of water, and he could have dumped the water on the guy on his head and woke him up that way, that would have been pretty comical as well, you know?
0: That would have been a nice way to go. The, the downside is you'd have a wet spot on the mat for the next match, but if he's ending the show, that'd be a tremendous way to do it. Bucket of water to the face oh, yeah. wake him up.
1: Absolutely so uh, we we're we're, we're we're talking about the best finishing holds of the 1980s, and we've we've covered a lot so far uh one of them though we we did not cover was uh, one that was extremely extremely popular on the other side of the pond and it, w- it was popular on our side of the pond as well jay and that's what you call me at the top of the program the figure four leg lock now it, it, we're, we're uh, as, as growing up as eighties. WWF fans up this way, Jay. Uh, You know, Tito Santana had the figure four. Greg the Hammer Valentine had the figure four. But probably the one that made the figure four the most famous and was the NWA uh, world champion at the time was the nature boy, Ric Flair.
0: Obviously, his name is synonymous with the figure four leg lock. The figure four might be the most famous submission wrestling hold of all time. And now I don't remember, I think it was Edge who pointed out that Ric Flair did not win a lot of marquee matches with the figure four. He would win a lot of of, uh, jobber matches with the figure four, and then he would have to cheat or sneak out a victory in his big time matches, which fit his heel character amazing at this time. But that figure four leg lock in itself is one of the most iconic wrestling moves. And like you said, in the World Wrestling Federation, we saw Tito do it. We saw Valentine do it, and Valentine add it, like the baseball shin guard, uh, to make it seem a little more effective, a little more painful for the opponent. But Ric Flair and that and that figure four leg lock, like they just go so well together. And I think years from now, if you mention the figure four leg drop leg lock, people are gonna picture Ric Flair, no doubt in my mind.
1: Yeah, and, and no, no doubt at all and what what was the rock and roll express's uh finishing move Jay? am I, I i'm i'm embarrassed to ask that was it a double uh was it double like super kick or was it like a double fist drop off the top rope or was it a combination of both
0: i was going to say double fist drop let me look it up here
1: i know the rock and roll did that
0: as well it was Rock and Roll Express. I'm trying to Google it here. It brought up the uh, the Midnight Express fishing move. I think it was a double uh, double fist drop, double punch from the from the top rope. Let me see if I can find it. While
1: Jay's doing his research, uh, I, I should be uh, embarrassed. I don't know the answer to this again. I don't want to keep uh, saying that I grew up up here in New Jersey as a WWF fan, but it, it is true. I. I my you can ask me anything about WWF and I would like, know as as NWA in the eighties I, I watched it but I wasn't a uh diehard uh glued to my T V watching it every week. But I, I did watch it a lot. You
0: J- you F- were F- right there. with your initial was your initial thought, man. It was a double drop kick from the rock oh, and I, wrote right. I, so
1: I, I take it back. Right. I it back I take it back. Give I yourself exactly a about.
0: little credit, Tommy.
1: Yeah, double drop kick
0: for the Rock and Roll Express. Again, I mentioned that with the Rockers. That's a tough move. To time, because you're you got to come off. It's like synchronized diving in the Olympics. Here, you got to come off at the same time. You got to hit your mark at the same time. That's a tough tough one to pull off. I wonder if they're still doing that as their finisher, because they're still very active.
1: Maybe maybe I could book them for my next 80s con. They can try it on you.
0: Right after I take the doomsday device, I'll stumble over and they can deliver the double drop kick.
1: What, what? anyone else, any other ones out there, Jay, that we didn't get a, an opportunity to really cover? I mean, there's, there's just so many out there that it's going to be hard to, like, you know, name everyone. Like I said, the hockey talk Man, the Shake, Rattle, and Roll, uh, you know, Jake Roberts' DDT, Ric Flair's Figure Four. How about King Kong Bundy's Avalanche in the corner? Uh, you know, there, there's a ton. Coco B. drop kick off the top rope. You know British Bulldogs. You know Tito's flying forearm slash figure four. There's there's just like you said Bret Hart the sharpshooter. There's just so many different ones out there that you know we could probably go down a list for a long time and just talk about any. Uh, how about Dusty Rhodes? We didn't even, we didn't bring up Dusty Rhodes yet.
0: The bionic elbow to the head.
1: I would love to see him or anyone do that to you. Just so you know.
0: Listen, I, if you can get legends to do their finishing move, I will gladly take most of them. Which ones wouldn't you take? I would not take a move that I know you've been on the receiving end. You, I, I believe, you've gotten yourself a stink face from Rikishi.
1: Sorry, you're 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 breaking you're breaking up on me. I can't hear you.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's the move <laughs> that I wouldn't take. But you took it, and you're still around.
1: Yes, sir. And uh, you can actually see Rakishi at our ISPW show on Labor Day weekend. Uh, it's going to be on Sunday, September the 5th in Butler, New Jersey. I'm going to maybe try and get a couple of the guys that are going to be on that show, Jay, on the podcast in the next couple of weeks to, to help promote the show and, and talk some ladies wrestling with us. How does that sound?
0: That would be amazing because you got some big names on there, big superstars, some tremendous independent stars and tickets they're available but they're going they're going fast man
1: yes sir front row is uh sold out already and and other tickets are moving as well i'll tell you what i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna i don't know who it's gonna be yet but we'll get a wrestler on the show next week right here on 80s wrestling the podcast it's not necessarily going to be an 80s wrestling guy but a big but we can talk 80s wrestling with him which will make it cool, in my opinion, and, and get their thoughts of growing up a fan during that era as well. So I'm going to work on getting us a guest for uh, next week, and uh, I guess we'll find out next week here who it's going to be.
0: Man, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that. And we're talking about a topic that you could literally talk all day on. And so we didn't mention them all. We mentioned a few of them. But we're rounding the bases on this episode. We only got a few minutes left, and I know you've got some big things happening in your world Uh, of Monday night virtual. You've got live events coming up. You've got your ISPW show. Things are always rocking and rolling at the wrestling collector. Is there anything that's coming up in the near future that you're super excited about that you want to let the listeners know about?
1: Yeah. Well, this Saturday, uh, this, this, this podcast drops on Thursday, the fifth, this Saturday, the seventh, if you're in the New Jersey area definitely come to the wrestling collector uh, we are going to be having, well, this one, Jay, originally we were supposed to have Greg Valentine this Saturday and there was a scheduling conflict and we were going to need to reschedule his, his event. So I just found this out last night. So obviously it's the last second at this point, And I'm the kind of promoter that if something happens and someone cancels or Whatever I, I need to find a replacement or make the situation right. That's just my style. It's the way I've always promoted events. I'm not just gonna say, okay, well this 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 date's postponed to this date. Like I, people were, in my opinion, people were looking forward to coming here Saturday, so I had to give them a reason to continue to be excited to come here Saturday. So Valentine will not be here this Saturday at the Wrestling Collector. However, uh, who will be appearing here this Saturday from two to five p.m. is WWE Hall of Famer. Sunny. Tammy Sitch will be in the house. I called in a favor, last second favor. She's coming to the store this Saturday, Jay.
0: She was originally scheduled for what? October?
1: Yeah, but we we you know there's other there's other people scheduled for that day already. And who knows, she might still be here for that one as well. But I need a, a quick last second replacement for uh this Saturday and man, it's summer can I have a higher choice than Sunny.
0: Listen, and if you were growing up watching wrestling in the early 90s. She was all over your television screen, your magazines. She was the it girl for that time frame in the World Wrestling Federation. She managed some of the biggest names. She was involved with some of the biggest angles. I think she was AOL's most downloaded uh, personality of that time period. That's a big get, Tommy. If you're in the area... You need to get down to the wrestling collector for that one.
1: And uh, next week, Jay, I'm really excited. The New Jersey State Fair, it's going to be uh, starting up this weekend. Uh, the the final day of the fair is on Saturday, August the fourteenth, and we're going to be hosting '80s wrestling night at the New Jersey State Fair. Man, for me, that's like a, a bucket list uh, for me. I mean. I went to the fair as a kid, since a kid. So to be able to actually host, my company hosts a night at the fair, man. And the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, is going to be there on top of that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Anyone that's in the New Jersey area, bring the whole family out. Next Saturday on August the 14th from 6 to 9 p.m., we're going to have the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, at the New Jersey State Fair at the Sussex County Fairgrounds. That's going to be next Saturday, August the 14th.
0: Tommy, as a young man, did you ever go to the New Jersey State Fair?
1: I went every year as a kid,
0: yeah. If you would have known back then that you would be headlining an 80s event at that same state fair and you'd be sitting side by side with a million dollar, man, like how cool is that? Would never have believed you in a million years. That's a pinch me moment, man. You're going to buy so much cotton candy. Oh,
1: <laughs> bro, you have no idea. Funnel cakes, uh, fried Oreos, French. Fr- oh, I'm sorry, man.
0: No, listen, man. If you roll up to the, to the, <laughs> to the French fry stand with Ted DiBiarty, you're not going to wait in line. Everybody's got a price for him. <laughs> right. You know you're going to the front of the line.
1: Oh, yeah. If my, if my, daughter, if my daughter wants to go on the Ferris wheel, brother, we're not, we're not waiting next Saturday. Not with the Million Dollar Man. We're going we're gonna to have a private ride. You'll be the only one
0: going small, around brother. and around, and everybody else can just watch. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Talk about VIP treatment at the state fair. When you're rolling in with Ted DiBiase, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think we're good, brother. So, yeah, that's going to be next Saturday, uh, August 14th. I'm, we'll make mention of it again on next week's uh, podcast. And, like I said, I'm going to be working on getting a guest for next week's podcast not necessarily going to be an 80s guy but a, a wrestling personality that we can have on the show just to to break things up because we've been going on at least a month span talking about different aspects of 80s wrestling so uh, it would be fun to get someone back on again and and talk some wrestling with them so I'll be working on that for uh, next Saturday, uh, next Thursday here on the podcast
0: I cannot wait Tommy thank you for another tremendous conversation about the golden era of wrestling that was finishing fun. moves awesome All right,
1: man. Until next week, I hope that you and your family, Jay, have a great weekend. We're going to be getting hot here in New Jersey this Saturday at the Wrestling Collector with Sonny. We'll give you an update on that appearance next week, right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.